are back once again for the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, Sports Media Columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And today, John, we have our big get, Greg Olson, the number two analyst, game analyst for Fox Sports. And he is into media as we like it. I feel like we should be calling him Greggy from Wayne, New Jersey. He, he knows media as well as we do, Andrew. He grew up listening to FAN. He told us about advice that Tony Romo gave him before he became a broadcaster uh, and then also went into uh, his dealings with Monday Night Football and auditioning for that. So good stuff there. All right, we're going to go who's up, who's down. We have topics, Major League Baseball and Apple, Sinclair NBA deal. We'll get into the NFL, our Mount Rushmore of NFL media. We're going to reveal that topic four uh, and then Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, we'll talk about the athletic and our calls of the week. John, who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? My who's up? Look, it's got to be Alex Mather, co-founder of The Athletic. He just sold the six-year-old publication to The New York Times for $550 million, more than I thought that they would get, more than a lot of people thought that he would get. We're going to talk later about what that deal means for the athletic staff. For, but for Mather, it means a big payday, a huge payday. All right. Also, co-founder as well as Adam Hansman. So gotta get him. he's got to get his money as well, I hope. Yeah. You know what? I stuck with Mather because he's the one that said that he was going to bleed newspapers gotcha. dry. Well, and then he got I, bought by a newspaper company. Yeah. So, yes, 100%. All right, John. Now, my who's up is Jen Lada. ESPN lost Tom Rinaldi to Fox Sports. Lada is one of the uh, people who replaced him, did some outstanding features. But the thing I like about Lada is she has a humorous side that she shows, but she doesn't make it about her all the time, which a lot of times when people do that, it's always about them. I feel like she does a good job with the features. She's, she had some tearjerkers, Rinaldi style, but also every week you could count on her. Uh, basically every week she had a feature uh, and they were good. And again, the big thing for me, very good job, but doesn't make it about herself. So on the way up, uh, Jen Latta for me this year as the college football season ends. Why don't you keep going? Who's on, who's on the way down for you? Okay, for me, broadcasters on the road. And look, when you look at it, regional sports networks are cutting back a little bit here in New York. Uh, the Knicks, the Nets, they've uh, drawn back from being on the road with Yes and MSG, with Omicron. It's understandable right now, but you still, you do hear the difference when announcers aren't there and the broadcast is different. Uh, so for right now, very understandable, but as we hopefully move past uh, Omicron and we get an, again in a better spot, uh, those announcers need to be on the road. Baseball season, uh, hopefully in the spring, summer, we're in a better place again with the pandemic and announcers need to be there. Just the broadcast is so much bigger, uh, feels bigger, sounds better. But for the time being, that's my who's down because announcers not on the road. Uh, understandable, but disappointing. Yeah, that's a theme that we're going to be pounding for the rest of the year. I mean, it's time to get them back on the road as soon as, as soon as they can. It makes for a better broadcast. My who's down, LeBron James. Uh, oh, LeBron. LeBron. Maybe not the biggest media uh, person, but he took to Twitter, where he has about uh, more than 50 million followers, to call for the head of Glenn Consor, who's a TV analyst for NBC Sports Washington, calling uh, Washington Wizards games. Consor described a game-winning shot by the Rockets' Kevin Porter Jr. like this. What a well-designed play. And um, you got to give credit. Kevin Porter Jr., like his dad, pulled that trigger right at the right time. All right, so that was an awful call. The problem is that Kevin Porter Jr.'s dad pled guilty in the shooting death of a teenage girl nearly 30 years ago. Consor quickly apologized. He thought that he was, he thought that Porter Jr. was the son of Kevin Porter who played for the Bullets back in the early 1980s. It's a bad mistake made by an analyst that probably talks too much. I know I watch most of these games, but Candace Buckner, who is an excellent columnist for the Washington Post, she said it best in a column where she said, she called James, uh, James's tweet, a reckless power play. Uh, 
she said uh, she accused James of tweeting about consort without knowing all the facts, something that James complains about with, uh, with, with beat writers all the time. Uh, uh, Candace Buckner's words, if words are a powerful weapon, then his can detonate anytime he opens his phone. He needs to think more before putting out tweets like that. Yeah, that's always weird when players do that. They, the biggest complaint about the media is they don't understand the context of things. Uh, so when you tweet, especially like you said, that's the big one. Uh, he's, he's, his social media is as big as maybe as almost any American athlete with 50 million uh, people following him. So that's a big voice. You really do need to know all the facts. So I, I'm on board with that. Bad job by LeBron. And he is. I mean, he's got a media company, so he falls definitely into the Martian and Orient sports media podcast realm of people we can talk about. Uh, but LeBron gets a who's down from John Oren. All right, so Andrew, let's get right into the topics. Topic one, the big story that you broke earlier this week, Apple has been talking with Major League Baseball about some of the midweek games. What do you know? So these are the games that ESPN had nationally that they relinquished in their uh, recent contract where they extended, they have Sunday night baseball. They're going to have the first round of the playoffs. If the CBA allows it uh, when the players and the owners agree in their current lockout, uh, hopefully that happens soon. Uh, those games though, major league baseball desperately been trying to sell. Like I reported earlier, they talked to Barstool, they've talked to Amazon, they've talked to basically everybody. And it looks like they're closing in on a deal with Apple. So People are, well, that's it. Amazon got the NFL. Apple's getting this little package that nobody wanted. Uh, small, you know, maybe it exclu- I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's going to be exclusive in terms of the regional sports networks, but maybe exclusive, but still not a big deal. But to me, the big deal is Apple getting involved in major sports. That is a big story, even if this deal isn't a humongous one, if it happens. Yeah, questions that we have about this deal, whether or not it's exclusive. I'm hearing that, 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 that there's a pretty good possibility that it might not be exclusive if, if Apple en- ends up getting it. Uh, another question is sort of, what are some of the bells and whistles? Apple is not going to present the games the same way ESPN did. There are going to be certain interactive elements to it. There could possibly be sports gaming, sports gambling elements to it. What are they going to do to try to, to make this more palatable, bring in a younger uh, viewership? Uh, to, to the to the games. But for me, Andrew, I got to say, once again, this is like the same thing with Amazon. Apple is worth $3 trillion and their entry into sports are some mid, midweek games with, with MLB. I mean, we had them just the last couple of pods buying ESPN. Don't the, don't they aspire for you something? Did. You did. You had them buying them. I'm not, I'm not Apple does it. Well, this look, this lets them dip their toe in the water see what it does. Uh, Does it do anything? Does it resonate? And I guess the thing is, and we've kind of had this argument about Amazon, like you don't start with the Super Bowl. Like that's not how you just jump in. So you have to start someplace uh, when you have a sports division, which Apple has begun. And this is a place where for Major League Baseball, they probably feel good about getting involved with Apple, being the first with Apple. They were the first uh, major sport when they started the app store, the major league baseball at, at bat app was on there right away. So there's a relationship there. So, so there's some prestige there. So, you know, the, the first question is what's Apple's end game here? What, what are they going to end up doing? And I think that's something that a lot of the sports industry are sort of holding their breath on. I mean, if Apple is a, uh, again, worth $3 trillion they're very fiscally conservative in, in many ways. And, and, and they, they take very, they're very methodical. They're slow. They, 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 don't, they don't go quickly. I can see them take, taking a look at the results from these midweek games and making a decision on whether or not to, to, to buy the NBA or whether or not to get involved in international soccer. I, I think that this is a real bellwether test for Apple to see whether or not live sports is something that works for their audience. But here's it. What is the presentation going to be? I think MLB network might be the ones who present uh, these games uh, because what people don't understand also is that these places do not have, um, they don't have the facilities to hire. Like, like Amazon is, is getting Fred Goodelli, the producer of Sunday night, uh, football for to do Thursday nights now. Like, Amazon doesn't have a whole production staff. I mean, these games are complicated and it takes a lot of manpower to put them together. Apple doesn't have that. So that infrastructure is going to be from MLB Network. So they can kind of figure things out. But 
at the end of the day, they're not going to really resonate no matter what they are. Um, you know, what type of technology they use, it's not going to totally resonate. And, and here's the other thing about it. Your boys, Sinclair, probably not going to be happy with it if it's exclusive, because if they do take games away, it's just going to be that fight that MLB is having with Sinclair where they're going to take games uh, from those uh, RSNs, which are predominantly owned by Sinclair. Uh, that, that's where these games will come from if they're exclusive. So uh, it could be MLB, again, you know, kind of uh, shoving it to, uh, to Sinclair and those regional sports network if it happens and it is exclusive. Yeah, you know, they've done deals before with uh, with uh, Facebook in, in the past, MLB has, where they've taken a certain number of games from the regional sports network. So there is precedent for, for them taking certain number of games from the regional sports networks. Doesn't mean Sinclair or Comcast or any of them will like it, but they are, they're, they're, they're prepared for that and, and they're used to that happening. Yeah, and at the end of the day, um, those really haven't been successful, like Facebook and Twitter, uh, are both really not in the game space. Twitter definitely is out. Uh, and then Facebook, I, I, they do some things, but it's not with the big time sports. That really wasn't a success. And it also annoys everybody. So I'm not sure how great it is for the brand because you're just taking games off a place where they can see it, regional sports networks to a place where some people can't and annoys them. That said, an MLB official did say to me years ago when they did this is that you, if you don't have that if you don't make it exclusive, then nobody's going to come. So it's like pointless to do. So you have to kind of have that um, friction. I'm sure there's some kind of business name to it that I don't know as a reporter who doesn't know anything. Um, but the, uh, maybe you do. Sports Business Journal, you should know the term. <laughs> but anyways, there's some friction that comes along with it. Um, and so uh, that's that's where everything is. is that's why it's, if it is exclusive, that's why they'll do it, to, to make an impact. Yeah, You know why we know that it hasn't been successful? Because they're not doing it anymore. And they, sure. they, they got they got out of it. I mean, one of the big problems with big tech getting into getting into the, uh, the sports rights space is that there's one revenue stream that's really coming out of it. It's a- advertising. I'm, I'm sure you can like, you know, Amazon has a billion revenue streams and mm. you can buy, buy the buy the uniform with the one click. But that generally isn't what's happening. The reason that uh, sports rights fees have gone up as high as they have over the past 30 years is because ESPN is paid handsomely by cable and satellite operators and by advertisers. They have these two revenue streams, which is building it up. All of a sudden with cord cutting, the the payments from the uh, cable operators and satellite operators, they're gonna go down. They still have that. Big tech is a four, those are for-profit companies, right? They're not gonna do deals to lose money. Uh, That's gonna be the interesting thing to see where they can find those revenue streams. Yeah, it's being a big tech. Um, let's drill Darren Ravel, 2 million followers on Twitter. Uh, after my story came out, he said, this is the beginning of the end uh, for ESPN. Darren, who actually I do like a lot, and I actually he's found a genre in the, the business. So I'm, you know, I'm not going, I'm just kind of kidding around. Uh, but I am serious about this in terms of what he said. He said, this is the beginning of the end. ESPN and Burke Magnus, Jimmy Pitaro, Disney, they've boxed out um, the competition in a lot of ways. Now, obviously Fox and NBC and CBS have their share of sports and they, they, they have a lot, especially uh, Fox, uh, they can compete with NBC in terms of their tonnage and, and the major sports. Uh, but they've kind of boxed them out. There's not that much available for the Apples and Amazon. So yes, long-term, if Amazon and Apple are really super serious about it, is that bad news for ESPN potentially? Yes, but I mean, we might be retired by the time that happens. You know, that's not, yeah, what, what, it's not in the next 10 years. ESPN is not going anywhere. Yeah, I like Darren too, but that was an awful take by, by Darren. When is the end? The ESPN has the NFL into next uh, decade. They have the SEC into the next decade. They own the rights. They can't. You can't come in and get, the, get those rights. A hundred percent. So you know that that Darren, um, you know, stick to the Gatorade stories and uh, those, those type of things. <laughs> Anyways, all right, enough about Darren Rebel. Topic two: Your favorite Sinclair NBA deal. Bloomberg had the story the other day. John, what do you know about it? What can you tell us about it? I think you might have some advancement on it. What do you got? All right. The headline everybody was interested in, Sinclair, close to a deal to stream NBA games. Uh, got That got a lot of headlines. What stuck out to me, though, Sinclair got $600 million of financing to support the launch of a direct-to-consumer platform later this year. That's what's really interesting to me. Everybody's been talking about Diamond Sports Networks. That's the uh, the division, the Sinclair division that runs the RSNs as, as ready to go to bankruptcy. 
And what that loan means is that they are not going to bankruptcy this year. They're almost certainly not going to bankruptcy next year. So uh, the NBA and MLB and the NHL are going to have to deal with Sinclair if they want to start going direct to consumer with their games. That's the big part of this. The NBA part, it's, I'm told that it was a very short-term deal. It might even only be one year uh, mm. in, uh, in length. Uh, doesn't involve much cash going, any cash going back and forth. And it only pertains to the games for the teams that Sinclair holds the rights to. So in New York, the Knicks games aren't going to be on there. Uh, here in, in D.C., Wizards games aren't going to be on there. The Knicks are, of course, on MSG. Wizards are on, uh, owned, uh, owned by NBC Sports. So it's, it's not going to be a, a robust service, but it's going to be a start. It's going to be a first, uh, first one out there. And one of the reasons that I didn't have Chris Ripley as my who's up, which uh, we heard on Twitter. Ahead of Sinclair, Chris Ripley, favorite was, who's down for John Oren. We just need to see what happens with this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see the launch of, of the... Uh, uh, of the platform. I'm waiting to see if that's successful. I'm waiting to see what happens with their negotiations with, with, char, uh, with Charter Communications right now. He's on the path to getting a couple of who's ups in 2022, but right now I'm not willing to, to, to put that there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if avoiding bankruptcy to me gets a who's up, but that's just me. <laughs> just hearing you lay out the facts. When I read that Bloomberg story, I also thought this seems like a little bit of a big hat, no cattle. Like again, Maybe it pushes them towards a better place, but in terms of uh, this being, I, the NBA is not, they're too smart to give up, uh, you know, too much real estate for nothing. It just seemed like $600 million, um, you know, the NBA, as it turns out, as you just said, um, there's not much money involved in this. They're just in its short term. So um, I don't know why the NBA at some point will have a direct to consumer relationship, why they're not going to go with an ESPN plus or an Amazon or, you know, any of the other uh, entities. I don't know why they would be beholden to Sinclair. Well, they're still circling, but what that loan means is that they're going to have to deal with Sinclair. They can't, they can't avoid Sinclair and hope that fanatics come swooping in. Uh, the Sinclair is going to has guaranteed a seat at the table now. Okay. Let's move to topic three before we go to the Greg Olson interview, which we're going to put in uh, the big get between topic three and topic four. Uh, the topic three is the NFL. Um, big weekend. They could not have hit a bigger home run to use a different sports um, analogy than how the NFL, the last regular season, week 18, went down to the wire. I mean, just uh, just like a soap opera from beginning to end. The tie game for Sunday night football that, that almost was. Here's how, here's where the NFL is above and beyond every other sports league in the country. ABC and ESPN had the Saturday night games that didn't matter. Dallas was playing for the number two uh, seed, which they didn't get. And um, Kansas City was playing potentially for a number one seed, which it didn't get. Two meaningless games. They both got 20 million viewers on a, on a Saturday in prime time. That right there, more than anything, is the strength of the NFL, Andrew. And it's only going to get stronger, I really think, with gambling becoming legal in more states, more people um, doing fantasy sports. Uh, I just think that's going to drive um, people watching. You talk about younger people are in interested in Instagram and TikTok, maybe you know just catch highlights. The NFL it's only once a week uh, in terms of your for your favorite team and the idea you can bet and you kind of know you're out in three hours. Uh, it's the ultimate. Uh, TV sport. I mean, I'd argue soccer as well, another type of football, but that's a, uh, in America, that's a little more niche. Um, but, you know, soccer you're in and out in two hours. Uh, so that's a good brevity on that. All right. Last week, you brought up uh, the idea that amount Rushmore of sports media. We had a week to, to brainstorm. I spent every second thinking about this so we could get the, the best <laughs> the, answer. The texts were a flurry of texts between you and me, Andrew, going Researchers. back. Researchers. All right. This is what we came up with. Our Mount Rushmore, top four, all-time sports media. Some of them kind of go into genres. All right. Um, you want me to do the big reveal? Go. That's all you. All right. John Madden is of on. Of course. Okay. Self-explanatory. Unanimous. One of two unanimous. Yes. Other unanimous, Rune Arledge. Why, John? Rune Arledge, he was the one that set up primetime NFL with Monday Night Football without Rune Arledge. 
they probably would have gotten there at, at some point, but he was the one that set it up. He turned it into an event and he really helped popularize the sport. Now, this is really, this honestly just happened. As we're talking, I'm actually changing one of mine for the, to, for because we did actually miss something. And this is a true story. We did not have this in there. This was not planned, but I don't know how we didn't put this person in there. I'm going to say it. I'm just going to first say, Cosell. you're going to say Howard Cosell. No, I'm not. Nope. Uh, all right. Let's meet. All right. These are the final two slots. Everyone can play along here. All right. And Al Michaels, Chris Merman, Chase Carey for Sunday ticket, Dick Enberg, Pat Summerall, Brent Musburger, and Steve Bornstein, who was instrumental in bringing uh, the um, NFL to ESPN. This is the one we missed. Pete Roselle. I thought you said no commissioners. No, I said no commissioners because no Roger Goodell, <laughs> no Tagliabue. I mean, come on. But Roselle, well, let, all right, so let's go through it. Coming into this, our final two spots went to Al Michaels, just for probably the best play-by-player of all time, Monday Night Football and Sunday night. And then Chris Berman, for, to me, he gets the spot, but he kind of is a bigger genre. We talk about ESPN getting involved. You talk about the pregame show. So kind of you bring that NFL today under that Berman umbrella, even though he's not related to that. Um, and that's why Berman's in there. But I just, I don't yeah. know why we didn't go Commissioner Zell, but I don't know. He kind of changed the game in terms of sports on TV. So we have a, a difference of opinion here because I wanted to make Mount Rushmore five faces. Because I would- and, drop- Anybody listening, how many faces on Mount Rushmore? Yeah, but we, we can create our own Mount Rushmore. Look, at, look I, I agree with Al Michaels. I think we, we have uh, agreement on, on him. I didn't want to do uh, Joe Buck and I didn't want to do Jim Nance because I feel like they have the, they're the voice of, Joe Buck's a voice of baseball. Jim Nance is a, the voice of golf and the, the voice of uh, NCAA tournament uh, basketball. Uh, I w- wanted somebody that, that really is identified with football. That's Al Michaels. And I, I, Chase Carey has to be in there. Chase Carey was at DirecTV when they launched Sunday Ticket. Chase Carey was at Fox when they, they bid, up, bid on, on the, the rights to bring the NFC over and really helped to, to, to make that just explode. Chase Carey and his handlebar mustache is certainly on my Mount Rushmore if it's stuck with four. All right. Well, Adam, Mount Rushmore is five. So here we go. So but this is what we went into going into the, the, the really the top four, Marshan and Orand. Sports Media Podcast Top Four is Madden, Rune Arledge, Al Michaels, and Chris Berman. All right, those are our four. You're putting Chase Carey in there as a fifth. I'll put Roselle in there as a fifth. We maybe we'll we'll tweet it out and we'll see what the what the people say. I usually put Get a Life Marshan as the final choice. That usually uh, does very <laughs> Why well. Why does that always get the most? Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't always win, but it does compete. All right. Well, maybe Greg Olson one day will be on a. Well, you'll John will add a sixth head to the Mount Rushmore, maybe. All right, John, we bring in Greg Olson, who's had a sensational year in his first year as Fox's number two game analyst. Before that, he was a three-time Pro Bowler, played in a Super Bowl. And now, Greg, you're on the Martian and Oran Sports Media Podcast. So I'm not sure it's going the right direction for you, but uh, we're happy to have you. I feel like this is where I peak. You know, they always say you don't want to peak too early. I, I feel like this might be my moment. Well, I will say, you know, we had Costas on and we, I kind of did a similar thing. I don't really have a lot of different deliveries. And he said something similar. So that might be a good sign for you. Hey, if, if he said it, I'll co-sign. There you go. The pinnacle of your career. So, uh, Greg, you were born in 1985. That means that you grew up with the NFL of the 1990s, of the, of the early 2000s. Growing up, as you were watching football, what analysts did you like? like who, who had an influence on you? You know, I, I remember a lot of different guys, you know, growing up outside of New York City, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the early media that I consumed was my dad listening to the fan, you know, driving in the morning to school or whatever. And he's listening to Mike and the Mad Dog and Sweater and the Smoozer and like all these legendary broadcasters. Um, and some of them, my dad knew he was a football coach back in New Jersey in high school. So he crossed paths with some of these guys. So that was like my earliest memory of consuming sports media. And then as far as like broadcasters, you know, the Monday night football crew of Mike and Alan, Dan, you know, my dad on Monday nights would work with his coaches. That was their game plan night. So my mom would make us dinner. We'd come home from school and we'd put on Monday night football. And then of course with Madden and stuff. So like all the iconic names were the guys that in essence narrated my first 10 years of my life and my experience listening and watching football. So it was a, it was a special time. It was a fun time. Football was kind of all we did in our house. Um, 
but yeah, I have a lot of very vivid memories of my, my early sports media experience for sure. John, I got to chime in on, he, he goes WFAN early and a sweater and the schmooze reference of our audience. <laughs> so I'll Steve tell you, Summers. so, so well, I'll test you here. And I actually read your article because I read all your stuff, Andrew. So I read your article about, I know he's retiring the schmoozer. So the sweater Salzburg was his last name, right? Yeah. Russ Salzburg. Yep. So his daughter and I went to elementary school together. So there was a lot of common threads back then. Um, and I knew my dad listened to them and she went to school with us. So it was a very interesting time. And I still, for whatever reason, I can't remember anything, but I remember that. Well, yeah, Russ and Steve, Russ used to flush people down the toilet when there were bad calls. I kind of got on them a little bit. We, we, we made amends later, but uh, we, we had a good, but obviously Summer's a legend and then Mike and Chris. All right, John, we had to do, listen, he went WFAN on us. We had to get, go in there, get the local audience for the New Yorkers. Yeah, you know, Greg, if I had known that that you would have started talking about New York radio, I would have asked a different question. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Fair enough. You have a pretty, you have a unique style when you're in the booth. Uh, From growing up, are you patterning that after anybody? You know, I don't think so. I I think at least my approach going in, I I think there was a little bit of ignorance is bliss, right? When When I got my first chance in 2017 with Fox to call a game with Charles Davis and, and, and Kevin, when I was still playing, like my, I talked to Troy and I talked to a few different guys in the industry and the advice that I got, and just the advice that I've always tried to approach with everything was if it's going to come across relatable, if it's going to come across, you know, natural, I've just got to talk how I talk and it might not be how you talk and it might not be how someone else's talks, but this is how I see football. This is how I resonate with the game. This is how I've talked the game for 30 years of my life. And I think, that's the connection you want to make with the viewer. So I think for me to try to be Collinsworth or for me to try to be Aikman or Roma or whoever, I think people can see through that quickly. So I might not be perfect. I might not say it how someone else would say it. But the one thing I've always tried to keep in mind is say it how you see it, be real, be authentic, and just try to keep that relationship with the viewer and earn their trust that, hey, when I say something, it's what I mean. It's what I believe in my heart. You might not agree but I'm not trying to be a shock jock. I'm not trying to gain attention and imitate somebody else who's well, highly thought of. So that's always been my approach. And whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent, I don't know. I've only done this for a year, so I guess we'll find out. But that's always been, that's always been my approach really to, to anything. Uh, you referenced uh, being on air while you were still a player, which to me is really so unique. First of all, why did you do that? How did that come about? It was actually a really cool opportunity. Um, years back, uh, I, I had the opportunity to go out to LA. I was visiting some friends, uh, a buddy of mine, Ryan Khalil, who I played with. He lives he lives out there, and we had some we had done some local like regional Fox stuff when I was in Charlotte, and just some lower level stuff. And and one of the producers out there, Jacob Olman at Fox, said, "Hey, well, you're out here. Why don't you come over to the studio? I have this guy, Kevin Burkhart. He does a lot of our audition tapes." And I said, "Kevin Burkhart." I said, "I've known Kevin Burkhart." since I was a high school football player, he would call my games for WGHT radio in in high school in Jersey. And uh, I said, I would love to do that. So I prepped for it. So this was probably like 2014, 15, give or take. And um, so I guess, you know, they liked it. They thought it went well. So then the opportunity presented itself. So the summer going into the 2017 season, Fox called us and said, Hey, we want to put you in a three-man booth. We're going to have you join Kevin Burkhardt, who you have a familiar, you know, rapport with, and then Charles Davis, and you're going to be the three and uh, do it on your bye week What do you think? And I was like, I love it. I, what, what a welcome challenge. I mean, I'm probably going to be a little wide-eyed and figure it out on the fly, but it was a great experience. It, it got well-received. It, it went over well. Kevin and Charles were just phenomenal partners. And then in 2019, they gave me the opportunity. They wanted to see me do it in a two-man booth. So me and Kenny Albert did it. Um, so that was 2019 again on my bye week And really it was just about reps. And it was really just about just throwing yourself in the fire and kind of sink or swim. And every time I showed them that I could handle it, I was fortunate. And I've told them this a lot, like they believed in me from the beginning and Fox just continued to give me more and more opportunities and kind of all led to, of course, signing with them now and, and calling my first full slate. When Burkhart was doing those games for on when you were in high school and you would listen back, or you're like, this guy's pretty good. Or or did you not notice it or whatever? But he must have stuck out a little bit if he was doing high school games at that point. He did. And what was cool, and, and he always jokes about this, we've become good buddies, you know, just 
he's been such a great partner. And, and before that, just a great mentor and kind of teaching me the ropes. And he would always tell this story He'd say, you know, my first production meeting was really with my dad. You know, he would come to my dad's office on a Monday or Tuesday and say, hey, coach, do you mind if I sit in on your coaching meetings, watch you watch tape, learn a little bit more about the game? And my dad said, of course, and he'd welcome. And so here he was, you know, probably fresh out of college, maybe still in college, give or take. And um, yeah, so he would come over. So I just got to know him on a personal level. And the thing that always stuck out to him was he's obviously he's incredibly bright and articulate and funny and a great he's very quick witted and his voice, right? His voice is very when he talks, he sounds so important. He sounds, it, it's just, he has the tone and the delivery. He's just an easy listen. He's an easy partner. I, I've said it, you know, the, the big reason why my first year has gone well is because I was put into a great situation with great people, great producers, great partners, Pam Oliver, I mean, across the board. And it's what's allowed me to be a rookie and kind of be kind of a young guy, bring some fresh ideas and perspective, but they kind of keep me along, you know, they keep me on track. Now take us through the process when you were playing, you auditioned for Monday Night Football. I mean, this is, feels like forever ago now because yep. that was the booth that became Joe Testator, Boog McFarlane, yep. and Jason Witten. Uh, what was that process? I think you met with CBS maybe as well. I don't think anything really too much. Maybe you're on top CBS's Sports Network show. Yep. Um, but uh, And then obviously Fox has always been interested in you. What give us Take us through that process with Monday Night Football and all that. And you're thinking if you would maybe have gone if you'd gotten those jobs. You know, it's funny because it, it's really an, actually a pretty fascinating story and I'll make it fast. So right the, the year where it all kind of happened along the same time. So the year that Fox got Thursday night football, we were down in the Super Bowl. I want to say it was in Minneapolis, maybe that offseason or I can't, maybe it was Houston. I don't remember exactly where the Super Bowl was, but it was announced that Fox won the Thursday night package. So there was all the speculation of who was going to be the Thursday night crew. Everyone was trying to land Peyton Manning, right? You've chronicled it more than anybody. And then kind of a parallel, I was down there doing the Sunday, uh, doing NFL countdown for ESPN pregame uh, pre at the Super Bowl. So shortly after one of the production meetings, one of the, the producers called me into her office and we sat down and she said, hey, as you know, Gruden's gone, whatnot. We're going we're gonna to kind of re-explore this, this Monday night football booth. Our first question is, would you consider retiring? We'd like to have you come audition. So this was all kind of happening right around that same time. So as you said, I went up to, to Bristol and did a full day with them. Me and Joe, we called and like one of the AFC wildcard games from the year before. I want to say it was like the Titans. It was like two random AFC teams. And uh, we spent the whole day. We did a pod together. We had lunch. We had dinner. And we spent literally an entire day. And I thought it went well. I thought it was cool. I mean, what a great opportunity. And then obviously we found, you know, they were going in a different direction. They ended up settling on, on Witten. And then right along that same time, we were trying to figure out where Fox was with the Thursday package. You know, they, they wanted Manning. And then they were going to get Troy and Joe. And then they weren't sure if they were going to get Troy and Joe. So they re-engaged with us. So this probably went all the way through the draft. And right along the same time when there might have been some interest and they were still trying to figure it out, the Panthers came to me with an extension offer. And I was like, you know what? I'm not quite ready to be done. So I re-signed with Carolina and kind of continued to move. But that was a really interesting offseason because I think if either one of those jobs would have offered to me early enough, the one thing I told them, I said, if you're going to offer me this or this is going to be real, I can't do this to my team at the draft. I've got to give them a chance in free agency. I've got to give them a chance in the, in, in the draft to account for me being gone. It never really came that far. Um, would I have considered it? Absolutely. I, I think I'd be silly not to. Looking back, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. I'm glad I played three, more, three or four more seasons. I had more ball that I still wanted to get out of my system, had some great experiences, and I couldn't be happier now with the group, the group, the crew that I'm in. So big picture, looking back, I'm glad it worked out, but that was a really interesting four to six months of that off season when all that was going down. Cause we were kind of right in the middle of a lot of it. Boy, Greg, that, uh, that Monday night football booth that they ended up hiring, it was a uh, Joe Tessitore, Booger yep. McFarlane, of course, Jason Witten uh, got crushed on a, uh, by critics, by social media. I always uh, view you and Witten sort of similarly, you know, tight ends that, that came into broadcasting. What did you think of that experience? I, I think it was a hard situation. And again, it's hard for me to put much judgment from the outside because I don't have a ton of experience. You know, I did one game in the three-man booth. So for me to sit here and say, I have a great frame of reference to say, oh, three-man booths are really hard, two are easy. 
I just think all in all, it was a hard situation to come in. I don't know if they really had a clear vision on what they wanted it to look like. I think they had three very strong personalities that they were all trying to figure out where their lane was. I, I do think having two analysts is challenging, right? I, I think just being in the booth with someone like Kevin, where we can just have a conversation and it's not like I talk in a block and then my partner talks in a block and then it kicks to me and we like pre-rehearse. I'm not a big rehearsal. I'm not a big predetermined who says what in what order. Like, I don't love that. Like the free spirit of the broadcast to me is what's fun, what's organic. So I think when you get too many strong personalities in the booth, they're trying to make their name. They're trying, you know, I think Jason took a lot of that brunt. I, I've known Jason for a long time. He's a, he's one of the smartest, one of the most intellectually, you know, knows the game, knows football. I just think all in all, and he'd probably be the first to admit it. Like it just wasn't a good fit and right, wrong or indifferent or who's to blame is probably not the point, but it didn't work out. Obviously they took some heat, but I've known Jason for a long time. And he's someone that I talked to when I was getting into this field, I called him, I called Romo. I called other guys to pick their brain and say, Hey, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? And I always believe it, it's always better to learn from other people's mistakes or other people's successes. So maybe I can take that into, into consideration when I make decisions or I pick which path I want to follow. What was the best advice you got? I'll tell you, I had a really cool conversation with Romo. Uh, he, he was really generous with his time. I didn't know Tony as well as I knew Jason, but I, I got connected to Tony through Jason. And I just had a really cool conversation picking his brain. And, and really the conversation that we had was less about the mechanics of being a broadcaster. And it was more about like, does broadcasting fill that gap of being a former player, right? And everybody tells you, as exciting as it is in the booth when it's a close game in the fourth quarter and it's coming down and you're talking ball and strategy, there's nothing that is like being on the sidelines, in the fire, coming in the locker room. There's nothing like that energy. And I think a lot of guys struggle finding it. And, and Tony's advice to me is like, I love broadcasting. I love the energy. I love the prep. I love being in the stadium and talking ball. He's like, just make sure you find something else that also motivates you every day, whether it's in season or out of season. He's like, for me, I love playing golf. I love chasing that competitive spirit. To me, that replaces a lot of what I miss from football. And, you know, we just talked about some personal stuff with family and young children and being on the road. So he just re really gave me a really strong insight. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, I really appreciate it. And a lot of what Jason has told me and, and, and Troy was the first guy I talked to before I did my Fox audition, you know, what was probably six, seven years ago. He gave me great insight. So I've been very fortunate to, to lean on a lot of guys that have been where I'm trying to go. And they've been very generous with their time and, and advice. John, I got, this is my last one um, is Kevin told me you could be the best ever. Okay. Are you gonna be the best ever? I don't know. I think that's for other people to decide, you know, and, and, and I, I paid yes, Kevin. Greg, I come, paid, on. come on, say I yes. Paid, yeah, I'm going to be the best, best ever. ever. Here, here's Forget what I, here's, John Here's what I will say. I'm, I'm not mentioning John Madden's name that you're not going to get me into that one, <laughs> but here, here's what I will say. And I truly mean this, you know, even when I was a player, like I, I could have led the league in catches. I could, I never, I never believe that you need to tell everybody how good you are. I think people know, right. I think people have listened to our broadcast. Obviously Kevin has made a decade of name for himself, both in baseball and football. I think that speaks for itself. Our crew, Pam speaks for herself. Like I think our crew honestly speaking, made an impact on the scene. I think people noticed us. I think people who tuned into our game, it sounded different. I think we added an element that maybe they weren't getting on other broadcasts. And not, that's not to say we're better or worse or other people. I just think we might've been a little different. I think the way we saw the game and talked the game, people appreciated. I think we opened people's eyes to, yes, we can talk about the complexity of football because I think it does it a disservice to completely dumb it down, right? I, I think football is too beautiful of a game, too complicated of a game to speak like it's checkers. But at the same point, we can't speak like we're speaking to a PhD level graduate course of football to an average viewer. So I think our ability to find that balance was our strength. And listen, this is something that I really think I can pursue long-term. I think this is something that with opportunities based on how they open and timing and whatnot, we're kind of at the mercy of. But I think Kevin and I and Pam and our team has shown that, yeah, I think we can call big games. I think we can call playoff games. I think we can call as big a game as, as the opportunity presents. 
And I think when we've had the chance to be on those national stages, I think when people turn the game off, they were like, you know what? I want to listen to those guys. And it wasn't, they want to listen to me. They want to watch our broadcast production. They want to listen to Kevin. They want to listen to Pam. They want to see our, gra- like our team, I think is really good. And I'd put us up nothing against anyone else. I'd put us up against anybody. And I feel strongly about that and how people view us. That's up to you guys to write articles about. I, I don't get to tell you what you think, but I know what I think. And I think, I think we're good. You know, it's, it's apparent to both of us that you're going to be in the NFL broadcast booth for as long as you, you want to be in the broadcast booth. What else do you, do you want to do though? I, I think that's a great question. I think one thing that really, aside from the opportunity to start on the, on the B crew with Fox and of course work with Kevin and Pam, one of the big things that drew me to Fox during all of this was the opportunity to have some of the taste of the studio stuff. You know, we did the Thursday show. It got changed a little bit when I first signed up. It was, you know, it was in New York and obviously that was pre COVID and then post COVID it ended up being moved back to LA and changed. So the idea of being on the the post game on the pregame show and the halftime and doing all that for Thursday night football was nice. Obviously that's now gone, but like I've enjoyed doing the, the studio stuff. I have some outside projects that I'm working on, like some really, some really interesting podcast stuff and a, and a larger entity above that, that with some, with some really cool partners and friends of mine that we're, we're going to launch here in the next couple months. So I enjoy this space, right? I follow it. I listen to your pod. I follow you guys. I read your newsletters. I'm one of your subscribers, Andrew, like in the morning on Mondays, I get it. Like I like the space. I'm interested in it. I think it's a very unique kind of niche market. And, um, I, I like to, I would love to continue as much as I love the broadcasting and always see myself doing the games. I like the opportunity to sit at a panel and just have conversations. I like the idea of potentially one day exploring hosting shows. Like there's a lot of things that I'd like to accomplish that all takes a lot of time. Right. And I understand where, where I'm starting from. I understand the obstacles that I'm facing and I'm willing to put that time and effort in to hopefully check off some of those boxes. And if I do great, if I don't, it wasn't for the lack of effort, but I'm very content doing what I'm doing now, but I'd love to find new ways to kind of augment that role, uh, both within Fox and, and beyond and see what opportunities are presented. Well, cool, Greg, we really appreciate, first off, we appreciate you subscribing and reading and following us on Twitter. Uh, you know, that's obviously important to us, but, uh, but more importantly, you've coming on and, uh, and being a part of the Martian and Oran Sports Media Podcast. So you can listen to yourself now. I can't wait. You can put this on your resume, Greg. <laughs> Three-time Pro Bowler. It's on. Super Bowl, number two crew uh, with an arrow. And now you've been on the Martian and Oran Sports Media Podcast. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Olsen was great. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. John, what's your biggest takeaway? He loves media. He's born to be in media. He, he has a perfect spot now as a number two analyst for Fox. He said he's working on podcasts and trying to build a, a, a media business there. But when he, when he went off on WFAN and his upbringing, that just shows like he's a, he's a creature, a child of media. I love it. What was yours? Yeah, I mean, he, he is definitely, I love that he's the FAN stuff. I mean, I was not, I knew he's from New Jersey. I knew Burkhart uh, did his games as a kid. I knew that his dad was a high school football coach, but I did not expect a sweater and the schmooze reference, uh, <laughs> Russ Salzburg and Steve Summers. I did not anticipate that. So that was enjoyable. And the Romo advice that he got was great. All right, let's go to the last couple of topics before our calls of the week. All right. Uh, two more quick topics before we get to our calls of the week. Topic four, Andrew. Sunday night baseball. You've been all over this. Tell me what we need to know. All right. Here's the big takeaway for me. A lot of focus on K-Rod. Alex Rodriguez always gets the headlines and his Manning cast that he's going to have with uh, Michael K. But the big story is uh, Carl Ravitch is going to be the face of Sunday night baseball. He's going to be the face of baseball. Everything baseball is going to be about Carl Ravitch. A lot of focus on on Ravitch. He's been there a long time. Uh, so he's, he's been a main player in their baseball coverage, but now even more so, especially if they get the playoffs, a lot of focus on Carl Ravitch. And that's my big takeaway. David Cohn's a home run. Uh, I've been uh, advocating for Cohn as an analyst for a long time. Uh, that's a home run. Interesting to see what they do with Buster only. who was a 
dugout reporter. Uh, looks like that's in question if he'll retain that spot. Um, so the baseball coverage uh, is going to be fascinating. Hopefully we have a season. Let's wrap up topic five, the athletic getting bought by the New York times. To me, I've seen this happen a lot before in, in business. There's going to be a merging of companies. There's going to be some blood on the street. There are going to be a lot of layoffs that people should look out for, mainly with back office. And we'll have to see how the New York Times reporters, the athletic reporters are able to coexist. That definitely is something because their styles are different. Someone like Tyler Kepner, their steam baseball columnist, and Asham Sharania, the NBA insider for the athletic, who's kind of a transaction person and uses sources. Um, seems to be sometimes favorable to some of his sources. Uh, so I don't know if those will uh, mesh that well, but here's my big takeaway. The, um, in the newsletter, I mentioned the Scott Borisization of the athletic number. If you told people in 2016, when they hired John Greenberg, who was just let go uh, from ESPN to be their first writer and editor for the athletic in Chicago. And then here in 2022, that, they're going to sell it for $550 million. You'd be like, are you kidding me? Uh, because the number was out there that they were trying to get 750. This is what Boris used to do. He put some crazy number out for free agent. Like he's going to get 400 million. And then Bryce Harper gets whatever through whatever he got three, something, some crazy number. Um, people are like, Oh, he didn't get the four million. He got three, whatever. So to me, that's the successful story for Hansman and Mather. Um, but I also thought, the point, Kevin Draper, sports writer for uh, the New York Times, who has covered media um, as well, he did make the point that could the Times hire two or three uh, news writers and kind of combine that with the sports now that they have locally with the you know re regular paper and try to sell that as a bundle. Um, and then it comes back to that quote that uh, Draper got from Mather, where he said, we're going to bleed newspapers dry. Well, if they do that, the New York Times is too highfalutin to ever say it, but they'd be they probably would be attempting at least, and maybe not purposefully, but this is what they'd be doing is bleeding those local newspapers dry. If they were to do that, I'm not saying they shouldn't, they have their own business, but you know, they can't act as if like they're all high and mighty if they do that, because that would be a direct hit for other local newspapers. Taking direct aim at Axios, which has local publications set up uh, among others that are out there. A lot of competition and you can see why I think it makes some sense. I, I think the athletic, the writers there could have done worse uh, than uh, the times buying it. Oh, I think I would take the times over venture capital any day of the week. Right. Yeah. And the gambling sites. I, I never saw the match we talked about. It. I never saw the match with the gambling sites. I think I feel like they do two different things. Nobody gambles wants to read. Um, just kidding. People do, but, but not those type of stories. They want to know who's going to win and they're, they're interesting content, but if you're a subscription site, it just doesn't really, to me, make sense to try to sell people upsell people on advertising. Of course you get the list, but I think that would annoy athletic subscribers if they're just inundated uh, with gambling ads because their subscribers to Athletic just didn't seem to coexist in my mind. All right, now it's time for the calls of the week. Call of the week. Andrew, I'll go first. How jam-packed has this show been, this podcast, that we haven't once talked about college football? They just played their championship. And Chris Fowler, I thought, had a great call at the end of the game. Play clock at four. From the pocket, launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone, and Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. But I think Fowler doesn't get a lot of love on this podcast, but I thought that he had the voice. I thought he met the excitement. I, I, I thought that it was a perfect call for an exciting play to end the championship. Yeah, I mean, he he was doing a tough stretch of four games <laughs> in 11 days. And so to end it with that is, 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 is excellent. Hey, look, here's the thing on the NFL games, too much about college. Like if you watch the call where, um, uh, what was it, Kansas City, the defenders running back, um, the key fumble for a touchdown, he's mentioning where he's from. That's not where you really mention a college uh, where he's playing. And that's not his fault. That's what his background is. So I don't really see him on the NFL. Look, he just, he's to me, not a great play, play by player. All right, let's go to my call of the week. Uh, Ian Eagle, who this is the kind of difference between Fowler and Ian Eagle is the control of a broadcast. And so what happened in the Steeler game the other day is 
TJ Watt had a sack. It looked like a disputed sack that was not counted as a sack. Then later in the game, he had a sack that was undisputed sack that tied Michael Strahan for the record. Here was Eagles call. Hundley holds, steps up. history Thirty-second time out. Watt has tied Michael Strahan's single-season record, 22 and a half sacks. Okay, so let's look at what Ian Eagle did there. He gave the headline there, but he didn't say exactly what it was for. And I presume the reason he did that was in case they changed the earlier play to a sack, then his call would test the time, you know, would go through history. Um, and so they ended up not changing that call. But if they had, there's a long pause there as well before he said what that sack meant. So uh, I thought if I'm right, that's really uh, pretty smart and having control of a broadcast that Eagle showed there. And that's the difference to me between doing a million games, like a guy like Ian Eagle has done and Fowler who now has done a lot of games, but, and has improved. Let me say that when he first started doing the national championship after Brent Musburger, that was like, Whoa, what did ESPN just do? He has gotten better uh, with reps still, still is not a classic play-by-play guy Fowler, but anyways, Eagle has that control of a game uh, that you want from a lead person on a broadcast. Yeah, I will not say anything bad about Eagle. I think he's a professional, and he that was a great call. I think he, he generally does great calls. You and I disagree on Fowler. I think Fowler, when I heard him on the NFL game, he's better than what ESPN has on the NFL game. I, I know, but that's not like that's all. Like I guess. I mean, I don't know if uh, you know. Again, we get, we're not getting, we we didn't <laughs> take shots at the Monday Night Football booth for a, a week, but that's not just a high bar. I mean, that booth isn't great. So that's the the one thing about it. And look, here's the thing. I'm going to end it on this. Four games, 11 days. And that's <laughs> tough. I mean, that is a tough assignment. So good for him. All right, John, that's going to do it. Greg Olson, want to thank him. Big get this week for coming on the podcast. He was tremendous. And uh, as always, enjoy talking with you. I look forward to every week. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone.